we are um, continuing the series that we began a couple of weeks ago in, uh, in the Ten Commandments, so in Exodus chapter 20. Um, if you want to turn there in the Bibles, you can grab a brown Bible from the table at the back if you don't have one. It's on page 98, and we're going to read the um, beginning section of those commandments in just a moment. Well, I want to read to you the first seven verses of Exodus 20. Um, if you uh, are new here, just to keep in mind, um, in many ways, these, these ten commandments, uh, which I'm sure you've all heard of, even if you can't remember them, um, are in, in many ways the distilled version of God's heart for us and how we ought to live and uh, have resonance um, through the millennia. And uh, we've, been, we've just been opening up the first four um, are about the worship of God and then the, the later six are more about how that affects your relationship with other people. So uh, we're still in that first four, the section about how we relate to God. So let's just read those first seven verses. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And here's the first. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that's in heaven above or that's in the earth beneath or that's in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands or to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. There's our third command. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, I think... um, it would be quite natural for most of us to, um, in many ways, sort of trivialize the force of this command and think of, of it as being somewhat um, distant to our day-to-day concerns. And I think there are two reasons why we do that. The first is because we, we misunderstand the importance of names and of naming. Um, I don't think that names carry the same sort of weight in our, certainly proper names, the, the, the names that we call each other, don't seem to carry the same kind of weight as they do as in biblical times. So um, when you come to have children, um, probably most of you tend to choose names not based on their meaning, and certainly not their meaning in English, uh, but rather just on how they sound. So, uh, you know, we used, uh, we, we got some help from a couple of apps on the iPhone where you, you kind of swipe left or right based on whether you like names, and you kind of narrow it down to a, a narrow, narrow focus on the kind of names you like. I already had a kind of pretty, pretty determined outlook on Seth's name. I felt it was manly and gruff and uh, represented what I hope he becomes, so he'd be a man of God, but um, has nothing to do with its meaning, actually. Uh, I do know the meaning, and, um, and Isla's name just is re- resonant with a particular place of Scotland that makes a great versions of whiskey, the Isle whiskey. So um, none of these have real significance for them in day-to-day life, the meaning of their names. We just like the sound of them, and they just sort of, you know, they, they just sound attractive to us. And, uh, but in the Bible, of course, naming, naming is a different thing altogether. Generally speaking, the names that people gave to their children um, were in the vernacular and had meaning. So um, 
So, for example, the name Eve or Hava, which um, Adam gave to his wife, means life because he says she's the mother of all living. So he literally called his wife life and addressed her as life. Um, there's very few names in English that work like this, aren't there? I mean, joy is one that has the same meaning in English as the name, but there's very few names that work like that in English. Or, or um, Isaac, Yitzhak, means laughter because Sarah laughed when the angel said that they were going to have a child because she was so old. She was way past the age of childbearing. She laughed, and so she called her son laughter. So they went through the whole, he went through the whole of his life being addressed as laughter by everybody around him, which is just a constant reminder. You don't laugh at God. But you can, see how, you, can, you can see how names in the Bible have this, this weight to them. And uh, I love the name Elijah. We've got a little Elijah here. But it literally means El, God, Eli, God, my God, Yah, is Yahweh. My God is Yahweh. And so whenever he introduced himself in Bible times, he'd go, my name is, my God is Yahweh. And it doesn't really work in English, does it? It doesn't feel right. But that's what names carry in the Bible. They carry something of the person to which they're attached in a way that's much deeper than it is for us, um, generally speaking. I know it may be not true from all cultures here. My wife's Chinese, her name literally means remember, be mindful of grace. And that was a deliberate choice on the part of her parents. Her sister's called merciful grace. And um, so it can work in our cultures. But generally speaking, if you're English, this isn't the case. And uh, so naming, we kind of trivialize this command because we don't really understand the, the force of naming. And of course, when you look at God's names in the Bible, you realize that actually the way that God's name is treated is with great reverence because God and his name cannot be separated. In the Psalms, you thank God's name. It's not, you know, you don't just thank God, you thank his name. Now, what does that mean unless his name in some way represents him? Or you, you praise and honor his name. His name is, is instead of having divine attributes, it's glorious, it's awesome. So we can say of God's name, he has an awesome name. And uh, in, in this sense, the Bible carries that the weight of who God is is transmitted to us through his name. And of course, he has many names. You could preach for a couple of years just going through the names of God in the Bible and what they teach you about who God is. So I hope you're beginning to understand some of the reason why this doesn't necessarily hit us with the same force. We trivialize names. That's one reason. And we shouldn't. They, they really do mean something. I think this is brought home to me. You know, the, the Alzheimer's has touched my family, as many of you know. And there's a real tragedy that when someone crosses that line from not being able to name you anymore. And you suddenly feel the weight of this in a new way. So naming does matter. So that's one thing I want to say to you. The other is the reason why we, we trivialize this is because most of you would think that this command, if you could give me a definition on the spot what this is about, I think you'd say it's about swearing, wouldn't you? So when you just say, oh my God, or, um, or people use the name of Christ in a kind of it's an expletive in that way. And that's, that's how we understand this command. And uh, I'm not saying that's wrong. Um, it's, just, it's an interesting thing, isn't it, by the way, just in our culture, how we don't use the name, names of any other deities. I don't know if that's true in, in other, other places, but we don't sort of use Buddha's name or we don't sort of curse the prophet Muhammad as so-called or these kinds of things. But it's always the name of God. And in fact, we so, it's so bled into the English language that we also use substitutes. So a word like golly is a substitute for, for God because you don't want to break the third commandment. So you use something that just you know, sounds a bit like it but not quite the same. But you know, so I'm not sure I mean, how important... Swearing in that way is to you, or whether that's the way you thought of this. When I was a kid, um, 
I, I was, there was certainly a certain zeal that marked me in my faith. And um, so in the playground, if anyone, if anyone took God's name in vain. You know, do you know the story of Phinehas in Exodus um, who finds uh, an Israelite committing adultery with a Moabite and he takes a spear and pins them both to the ground, putting it through both of their bodies. I was a bit like that when it comes to, when it comes to taking God's name in vain in, in the playground. So um, I, don't, I don't think that's, that's wrong necessarily in the sense that you know, we should have a zeal for God's name and uh, we can minimize it. But the reason why I, I think that that doesn't hit us with the force is because in, in many ways that's just too narrow a reading of the command. If that's all it's about, just sort of controlling your lips in that way, it feels too narrow, too, not, not weighty enough in terms of what this command means and the force of it. Um, so when I was considering this this week, I really had to give this a lot of thought. What is, this, what is this really about? And I had to look at many cross-references throughout the Bible to try and understand and bring light to bear on what, how the Bible understands this command and the force of it, what it means for us. Because I think it has an incredible relevance and weight, relevance and weight for us today as Christians and uh, I want to try and open up for you what, what that means. But I was reading um, Thomas Watson. He was a, six, 1600s, a writer in the 1600s who, was, who, was, uh, who gave 12, re- 12 ways you can break this command. And I won't tell you them all, but it just shows you some of the, the complexity of trying to unwrap something as simple as do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. He says things like this. That, so when we use God's name in idle discourse. So when you're like unthinkingly just mention the name of God without reverence or fear in your heart. That, that's interesting, isn't it? That, that would, it would take it that way. I don't think any of us would naturally think of that. He talks about when we worship him with our lips, but not with our hearts. So when you sing empty praises um, that aren't necessarily from your being. You know, I think the song we were just singing probably captures that the best. You know, you could be standing there going, Yahweh, Yahweh, we love to shout your name, O oh God. <laughs> and you think, well... In some ways, I think it carries the force of this command, that we can take God's name in vain, that it's not with passion and not with, with, uh, with the reverence that's due when you utter the name of God on your lips. And he goes on, he talks about when we pray to him but don't believe in him. So when you pray to the Father and you pray through Jesus and you take their names on your lips, but there's no faith to connect, you know, that you don't do it in faith, you don't actually believe that God hears you. So there's all these kinds of ways that you can take it and many more. Um, but as I said, I was weighing this and thinking hard about what it means for us. And I really believe that there's a more particular meaning that the Bible shows and that that carries an acute relevance for us, not least because we carry the name Christian, which bears the name of Christ even in in how we label ourselves. And so let's just ask this question, what, what is this speaking against? What is the command against? And sometimes, not always the case, but sometimes it can be very helpful. You can get a lot, a lot of understanding by just uncovering the meanings of the words in great detail. This isn't true all the time when you're reading the Bible. You don't have to have Bible dictionaries at your side. Generally speaking, just what's written, you can take it as read. But here, there are two very important words which just open up for us the meaning of this command. The first is, is what's translated here as take. You shall not take the name. It's the Hebrew word nasar. And it... it you know, in the Bible, it never means speak. It never means to, to talk. It doesn't ever mean something you say. It rather, the literal meaning is to bear or to carry or to lift up. So something that you're like holding is the literal meaning. You can't hold the name of God in vain or bear it or lift it up in vain or carry it in vain. That's, what, that's one word. 
The other word that's important is the word vain, which is used often throughout the Bible. And it, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean vain in the way that, you know, like you're so vain, I bet you think this song is about you vain. It's not that kind of vain. It's the vain of, um, of futility, of meaninglessness, of a kind of emptiness or a weightlessness to something. And even something that's deceitful can be described as vain in the Bible, a lie. Is vain. It's kind of empty words, weightless words, if that makes sense. So when you put this together, you understand what is being spoken about here. What does that mean? That we shouldn't carry God's name in a, in a deceitful or weightless way. I think we can put that positively, and it, it means something like this. That the way you carry God's name in your life should demonstrate the reality of who he is. Or we can put it negatively in this way, that you can, by your life, by the way you live out your your faith, you you can demonstrate to the world that God means little to you. Or you can even distort who God is by your life and your lifestyle. Does that make sense to you? So let's ask this question then. Well, how could we bear God's name in vain or in futility or with meaninglessness or with deceit? What would that look like? And the simple answer is when our lives do not match the profession of faith that comes from our lips. So if you are here, and I know this isn't true of all of you, but if you, are, if you are someone who takes God's name and you say, I am a Christian, or I believe in Jesus, two ways of taking the name of Christ, Christian, Christian, or I believe in Jesus. So, you know, if you take his name, but somehow your life does not match that profession of faith, then you have taken his name in a vain way, in a futile way, in a, in a weightless way. Now, I think this makes sense to us, actually, if you start to think about this. It makes sense in secular life. Think about the Netflix decision to cancel $28 million worth of production costs on a season of House of Cards because the lead actor has lived in, in, with indiscretions in his past. And you think, well, what, how does his wrongdoing affect the series or affect us? And the answer is not in any way. But, of course, for a, a studio, a massive studio like this, to what they are careful of is whether their name is dragged through the mud by what this man did decades ago. Can you see how a name matters to us and how we are careful how we associate with it, even in secular life and even in our day-to-day lives. You think about if you go and do something stupid on the weekend, you go to a fancy dress party and you dress up as a Nazi or something like that, um, and it ends up on your Facebook profile, public photos, you'd probably be fired on Monday, wouldn't you? Because, not because it affects the company in any way, but because it affects the company name. Because it is, you're bringing shame when you act in in silly and stupid ways that, that kind of drags the name through the mud. So we understand in our secular life what it is to take a name in vain. You know, just hypothetically, if you were the president of a country and you're known for working just a few hours a day and eating cheeseburgers in bed while you watch the news, in many ways you're blaspheming the name of your country and you're blaspheming the flag, aren't you? It might not affect ordinary people that you rule or lead, but it is a blasphemy. Does that make sense to you? It's kind of taking things lightly. It's sort of not letting your actions and your words match up in a way that is, that is weighty so that your whole life is, is 
It's preaching the truth of what you profess with your lips. Now, if that's true of secular life, how much more is it true of the living God? How much more true is it of the one we've been singing about, Yahweh, I am that I am, and his son, Jesus Christ. Every time you say I'm a Christian, you carry that name. And in Philippians, we're told that Jesus has the name above every name, that at his name, every knee should bow. So when you speak his name, but your life does not bow to him, you're carrying his name in vain. You're carrying it lightly. This is quite terrifying, isn't it, in a sense? I just want to show you why this is, how this is shown in various passages in the Bible. Leviticus 22 puts it like this. God talks about obedience. He says, you shall keep my commandments and do them. I am Yahweh, and you shall not profane my holy name. Can you see how he connects the carrying of his name as God's people with obedience in the way we live, a holy life? Does that make sense to you? Here's another one. In Romans uh, 2, Paul talks about the godlessness of people who were supposed to carry God's name as they went into the nations. And he says, uh, he says, you who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it's written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. So you can see this is not just about swearing in the playground and taking God's name in vain in that way. This is about how when God's people go into the world and he says they break God's law, they kind of disobey God in their kind of lawless lifestyle. He says you're, you're, the nations blaspheme the name of God because of the way you're living. There's another really, really specific and narrow example that's given in James. He puts it like this. He, says, uh, he talks about the rich. And he says, are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you, are, you were called? And I think he's talking about wealthy Christians and how even the wealthy Christians at the time sometimes were more interested in their business interests and their bottom line than in how they treated their brothers in Christ. And he says when they drag you into court and oppress you and don't pay you your full wage and these kinds of things, they blaspheme the name of God because there they are going around saying that they're Christians, but their, their lifestyle is a denial of it. They're, kind of, they're, they're carrying God's name in a weightless way, a way that actually brings his name into disrepute among the people among whom we live as Christians. And so words like this begin to make sense to me in a deeper way. This was Brennan Manning, a great preacher from America. He, says, he said, the single greatest cause for atheism in the world today is Christians who honor God with their lips but deny him with their lifestyle. He says, this is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. I learned that from a DC Talk album when I was in, in my teens. But some, some of you know that. But it's a profound way of putting it, isn't it? The greatest cause for atheism is, is Christians who confess Jesus with their lips but dishonor him by their lifestyle. It's true of us, isn't it? But it's also true of Christians in history who've done wicked things in the name of Jesus. It's, it's taking his name in vain. And so we're, we're sat to, and provoked, aren't we, to think, well, what does this mean for me in my day-to-day life? I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm a professing Christian. Maybe you're not, but for those of you who are, and you begin to think and reflect upon your own life, rightly. We ask this question. If God's name is so holy, 
how can any of us carry it? How can we carry it with the weight that is due to that name, with an appropriate sense of reverence for that name? How can you carry it rightly? And I think the first way you need to react to that is to understand that you cannot. But there's a sense in which we all can acknowledge the unworthiness of our lives to match up with the name we carry as believers in Jesus. Because his name is precious. And yet so often our lives deny that, don't they? By our lack of love or by apathy. And not just the things we do wrong in an active sense, but also the things we fail to do. We carry the name of Jesus, yet we fail to love others in the way Jesus loves. We carry his name, and yet we fail to be compassionate and servant-hearted. It's not just in the active ways you break his commands, but it's also in the passive ways, the ways that we sit back and we say, I'm a Christian, but I do nothing. Can you begin to see how this, this cuts right to the heart and we feel a conviction, don't we? I carry his name, but how is it possible for me to carry his name with the weight with which he is worth? And I think that's the first and the right way that we should react to this. That there's a solemnity to the name of, of God. I was trying to think of ways to illustrate this and just give you an example, but it's actually very hard to do because nothing quite matches up with the weight of this name. I could give you an example. Like, I mean, you can imagine if you were by some great accident um, and, and, and some confusion, you ended up walking onto the field with England players wearing an England vest and think, well, how did I end up here? If it was me, I know that I would be carrying the name in vain because I, I play football like a chimpanzee. I'm absolutely useless. But there's a sense in which you think, oh, the weight of what I'm carrying is too heavy for me. I'm not, I'm not worthy of this. And if that's true of, of relatively trivial things in life, how much more is it true of the name of God who is precious, who is holy, who is so far above us? I think the first way you've got to, you've got to respond to this is, is to see yourself and say, I, I can't do this. And then you need to move your mind over a little bit. And the second thing you must do is think about Jesus. When we look at Jesus' life, in many ways, the entirety of his life can be summed up and distilled in this command. That he came to show us what it looks like not to take God's name in vain. He came to show us what a life looks like when God's name carries the weight that it's due in a single person and how a single person is living. And Jesus made this very explicit to us in some of the things he said about his, his intentions and his life and the, what he was doing and why he was doing it. He said things like this in, in John 5, that he'd come to glorify the Father's name. He says, I've come in my Father's name. So here's a man who says unashamedly, I am carrying the name of the Father in the way I live my life. And he, he could say that without a blush and without a hesitation. Later in John 12, he says something similar. He says about the Father that when a voice came from, from heaven to him, he says, he says, Father, glorify your name. And then the Father responds and says, I have glorified it. You think, how does the Father glorify his name? Well, he showed us Jesus. When he wanted his name to shine into the world and people to see who he is, he gave Jesus, put Jesus into the world. 
as the only man who's ever lived who carries the name with the weight with which it's worth. That his life was never at any point a denial of the name, but a full manifestation or revealing and unveiling of the name of God in, in the way one man lived. It's, it's profound to think about that, isn't it? In some of Jesus' last hours on earth before he was crucified, we have one of his, his long prayers recorded in John 17. And really it's a kind of a window into the very mind and the heart of God in a profound way. But twice in that prayer, Jesus says words to this effect. He says, I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. I've manifested, I've shown your name. I carried it and I, my life showed your name to the whole world. A little bit later, he says, I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known. Here is a man who without hesitation, without a blush, without any sense of self-doubt could, could say, I have, I have shown who you are, God. I have revealed your name in my life and my lifestyle. And then I want you to think, in thinking about who Jesus is and thinking about his unique life, then we need to, refl- to turn back upon our, ourselves and think again about our lives, what it means to be a Christian, what it means to carry the name. And ask this, is it possible, is it possible for us to carry a name in the way that's worthy? Or are we doomed to always just go through life breaking this command? A mismatch between our profession and our lifestyle. And I think that the the answer the Bible will lead you to is this. That whilst God knows that we cannot live perfect lives. He does at the same time encourage us. That as we're cleaned up by him and as we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. You can live a life that in many ways is worthy of the name of God. I want to show you just very briefly three ways how that can be true of you. I want you to take mental note of these three things and, and, and register where there is particular application for you at this moment. And the first is this. That the first way you can carry this name worthily is by believing in it. And I'm speaking to those of you who are not sure really that you are a Christian. Maybe you've considered who Jesus is and... Or maybe you haven't really considered who he is. You just have a passing knowledge of him. Do you know that the, most, the first and most important way that you can honor the name of Jesus is by believing in it? In fact, in the New Testament, to be a Christian is described in many, many times, many places, as believing in the name. In John 1, it puts it like this. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. To all who received him, who believed in his name, who, who accepted that Jesus is who he said he is, that means, and that he represented God and that he died on, beh- on your behalf, then God says, I give you the right to become a child of God. You've given my son the honor that he's, wor- he's worthy of. This is why when, when people become Christians, the first thing that, we, that ought to happen is that they should get baptized. They get dunked in water. But do you know they get baptized into the name of God, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit? Because now 
they're, they're, they're proclaiming to the world, I believe in this name, and they're also being labeled with the name and saying, you're now part of the family. And this is the first and most important way that you can obey this command is by saying, receiving the name of Jesus and recognizing his greatness and his worth in your life. You ask, why? Why is that so important to God that we receive who Jesus is? And you know, the answer is because think of its opposite. If Jesus was given to you as the one sacrifice for sin, the one way that you could be clean before the Father, to disbelieve or to dishonor the name is to say that when I meet God face to face, I feel I have my own way of dealing with my sin and I don't need Jesus. And when you really start to think about that, that's a terrifying thought, isn't it? To think that you, that you could have some other way of dealing with the wrong that you've done, the shame that you feel before a holy God. It's also a disparagement of what he's done because when Jesus took your sin upon the cross, to not give that its weight, to not give that its due, is to say that what you, what you did, Jesus, is not worth anything to me. And you can see why in the Father's sight, the way we honor his Son is the most important thing about us. It's the most important thing about you. We have all kinds of ways of assessing our lives and understanding where we're at and, whether we, and assessing our, our value, don't we? But the Bible uses one singular lens. It says, how, how do you react to Jesus? What is he to you? And so to be a Christian is to take his name, is to obey this command. And you may think, well, I'm going I'm to look into other options, but Peter's really clear on this. He puts it like this when he's preaching. He says, there's salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He's saying that you could search your entire life and look at every available option, but you would never find someone like Jesus, a man who lived a perfect life, and somebody who died vicariously on your behalf, who took your, the weight of your sin upon him so that you would not have to be punished. Why, why would we ever bypass that? Why would we ever diminish the power and the weight of that? It's a mystery to me. Because the longer you look at Jesus, the more extraordinary he stands among all people in history. There's no other name. And so this is the first way, friends, that we can obey this. We believe on the name. Here's the second. That as you, as you, as you take the name upon you, when you live a Christian life, and I'm speaking to all of you, who are Christians, you seek to walk in repentance and holiness. I put this both negatively and positively for you. But to carry the name is to, is to walk in, a, to live a holy life. And we put that negatively. It means this, that there are things in your life that do not match the profession of faith which you own. So Paul puts it like this. He says, let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity or depart from sin or depart from wrongdoing. That when you're, when you're taking hold of God's name, you're saying, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, you've got to walk away from the things in your life which you know offend God. And immediately as we start to speak about these things, the Holy Spirit 
begins to move in our hearts, doesn't he, and bring conviction of sin. We, we become aware of the things that I've got to walk away from. If I'm going to name the name of God, I can't with these same lips honor these wrong things in my life. Hey, let me put it positively for you, though. It's possible, friends, for you to live a strikingly holy life that honors the name of Jesus. Of course, you will never, never be perfect, but I believe that it's, it's part of what we're called to be and to do, to live a holy life that is so striking that, that people want to praise Jesus. That his name is kind of, is made to look good rather than bad through the way you live. And that is in many ways the entire purpose of life. This is how Paul prays this into, into one church. He says that, that we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. He says, I pray that you'll live a life that's worthy of the fact that you're now called to be a Christian so that the name of Jesus will be broadcast to the world as something extraordinary and beautiful. And I think if Paul's praying for this, that he expected that it is not only possible, but highly likely that this will happen as you grow in your love for Jesus and your esteem for who he is. That one of the things that should mark you as you grow in maturity as a Christian is that more and more you, your life's your lifestyle starts to match up with the things that you profess are true. And that more and more there's a, there's a, there's a connection between what you believe with your lips and you profess that Jesus is Lord and the reality of your life in day-to-day life. And this isn't only something that's just a possibility. This is something that God is creating in you. He does it, friends. He works powerfully. There's no part of your life that's outside the remit of this, of what God wants to do through you. Let me read you another verse. He says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In many ways, that is a test of what, whether the things you're doing in life are good or bad. Can you do it in Jesus' name? Can you, can you date that person in Jesus' name? Can you... Fulfill your job in this way, in the name of Jesus. Can you enjoy these particular entertainments in Jesus' name? To each of those kinds of questions that we ask, there's a yes, there's a possible yes or a possible no, isn't there? But this is, this is essentially the test of what it means to live a godly life as a Christian, is can you do it, can you do everything you do in the name of Jesus? Or are there things that you are recognized you, that, that cannot be in his name, and they're a denial of his name? But you can. You can live this way because God has given you his Holy Spirit. He's empowered you. He's transformed you. He's begun to sh- shift the, way you, the things you love and the things you desire so that you do live the life that, that God's called you to. Praise God for this. This is not beyond the realm of possibility. This is within our grasp by the power of the Spirit. This is what you're called to. And friends, I want to compel you and encourage you and stir you. Do not give up. Keep walking in this way. Here's the last way I believe that we're called to honor this name. It's by going public with your faith. 
Now, in some ways, you think about the force of this command. Don't take the name of your God in vain. You think, well, the easiest way to obey this is simply to hide the fact that I'm a Christian. Because then I can't possibly bring dishonor to the name of God. I know um, growing up, my dad always refused to put the ichthus, the fish symbol on the car, which is a, an ancient symbol for Christians. They used to put it on the cave, the cat- human caves that they hid in from the, the Roman Empire because the name for a fish in Greek, each letter says is Jesus Christos, uh, Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. Let's just do it in English. Uh, <laughs> um, so the fish symbol has got this, it says to everyone, I'm a Christian. You think there's a very good reason not to put a fish symbol on your car, isn't there? Because every time you cut someone off, they'll think, that Christian. <laughs> every time you park badly or you bump someone or something like this. And certainly I understand this because I've seen my wife drive. And uh, <laughs> I don't want to, I want to want fish on my car. So, but you see, when Jesus is talking about what it means to carry his name, to be a Christian, the one thing that he doesn't leave open to you is an option. The one option you do not possess is the option to, to be private about your faith. In many ways, that's its own form of dishonor, isn't it? You know, if you, if you, if you start seeing someone and you're a little bit embarrassed about them, and you don't want to introduce them to any of your friends or your family, then pretty soon that person is going to get a, start to feel a little bit offended, aren't they? Why won't you let me meet your friends? Why won't you let me meet your family? How come when we go, you go to work events, you don't bring me along? It's because you can't really answer that, can you? You're embarrassed, you're ashamed. You know, for whatever reason. You think if that, if that could be true of a, a love relationship... How much more is this true of what it means to carry the name of Jesus? The one thing he, he did not leave open for us, with the one option, was that we could not carry his name in private. We couldn't try and hide the fact that we are believers. He put it like this. He says, Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me, and in another gospel it says, Whoever is ashamed of me before men, I'll also deny or I'll be ashamed of before my Father who's in heaven. You see, one of the, the greatest ways that as a Christian you can carry the name of Jesus with the honor that it's worth is through the radiant joy that you have in telling others about him. And it's not hard for you because you love him so much. Just as it's just very easy to tell people about your favorite restaurant in town or your favorite place to go on holiday. You know, when these things just bubble out of you, the favorite show that you've just discovered on, on Netflix or whatever, when you, these things just come out of us, Jesus says, how much more is it to be the case that when we carry the name of Jesus, that we should carry it publicly because of, because of his worth to us? And in many ways, the harder it is to carry the name of Jesus publicly, the greater the opportunity there is to honor his name. The weightier it is, the sense of weight that you carry his name if it's harder for you to bring it out into, the, into, into public knowledge. A little bit earlier in that same chapter in Matthew 10, Jesus said, he says, you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Jesus is saying you should very well expect that when you carry your faith publicly, that, there's going to be, that you're going to have, encounter problems in life as a result. 
But in many ways, you'll discover that people don't actually like the fact that you believe in me and that you believe in me so much that you're willing to tell others about me. But you can begin to see how that is the most, it's the greatest honor. You know, when Paul suffered for the name of Jesus, he, 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 he wore that as like medals on his chest. It was like, these are badges of honor that I get to suffer on behalf of, of the Lord Jesus Christ because he, he recognized that his whole life preached to the world what Jesus is worth. But Jesus is not to be hidden. He's not my private deity. He's not the kind of the person I'm seeing in secret. Jesus is the Lord of my life. He rules me, he, and everything I have belongs to him. And friends, this is how we're called not to carry the name of God with the weight with which it's worth. So I ask you as I close, how do you need to respond? What is it that God is kind of nailing you about in terms of the way you carry the name of God? Is it maybe that you've never, you've never really surrendered your life to Jesus, so you don't believe in his name? And you're thinking, well, if this is really important to God that I know about his son Jesus and what he's about, then I need to figure out what this means for me. I want to encourage you, come and talk to me afterwards. I would love to answer your questions. I'd love to just help you understand this in in more detail. Talk to Jeremy, the guy who was leading the service earlier. Let's help you uncover what's going on. Do you need to respond because there are specific areas of your life that you know are a denial of the faith? Maybe it's the way you conduct yourself at work. Maybe it's something else. You think, I need, to, I need to change. that I'll bring the name of God glory rather than dishonor. Or is it that you just need to go public with your faith? In many ways, this, this command is a, compel, a compelling reason to do that. Why don't we bow our heads and pray together? Father, we thank you that you are worthy of all praise. And Lord, that you have... You've given us your name. And not just given us your name as something we can know in our minds, but Lord, you've also put your name upon us as something that we carry with our lives. And Lord, we want the city we're in, the friends we know, the families that we're a part of, to know that Jesus is the name above all names. And may all of our lives align with that reality in holiness, in love, in honor of who you are. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.